If you're, let's say you're a, a medium-sized manufacturer, even selling direct, why would you want to go with distributors? Um, and and I, I would say, well, where are your, your customers buying now? Uh, and um, partner with some distributors and take it one step at a time. Um, and this is what, what I was, you know, what we were doing at Modus here uh, before I left uh, was, you know, looking at partners that would make, make some sense for them to include our product with what they were already selling and, 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 and move forward with it and, and see how it works and then you can scale it. Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now that was Oren Broberg. Oren was the founder of Modus and is an executive consultant who works with companies to help them grow their revenue through third-party sales channels. And in our conversation today, we're tackling a subject that, quite honestly, we don't talk enough about on this program, which is how to effectively sell your products and services through distribution channels. And after all, there are over 400,000 distribution organizations in the U.S. that are driving over $7 trillion in revenue as of 2021. So very significant way for any company to look at selling their products. So we start by examining how companies are supporting their channels today to drive sales, navigating all the usual challenges, including how the seller wants to work with the vendor, but at the same time, protect and really own the end customer relationship. Then we dig into how the channel landscape is changing, how buyer models are evolving rapidly, while vendor marketing and sales support seemingly are falling further behind. And Orrin and I also explore what the leading companies are doing to address this new reality, how they're reimagining their relationship with their distributors and their end customers. So we get into all of that and much, much more. But before we get to Oren, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So let's jump into it. Oren, welcome back to the show. Good to be here, Andy. Good to see you again. So uh, for people who maybe didn't hear a previous episode, previous conversation, um, tell us about yourself and what you do. Well, a little background on myself. Uh, I started right out of college, like like you. At, you were at uh, Burroughs. I was at Xerox. And so I was at Mother X for about seven years. And um, I mean, those were Mother the X. Or these were the companies that trained people how to become salespeople. It, yeah, back when training was a big thing. And I uh, had processes and things of that nature. And I learned a lot. Believe me, I learned a lot there. You know, I, when I left, I was a sales manager and um, successful, but then I, I went to work for Nortel Networks. Um, oh yeah, which was at a, at, at a very interesting time in our history when they were breaking up Ma Bell, AT and T being uh, divested into the Arbox. You know, remember them? Well, just so uh, and, for the, the people that don't remember, they're being divested. AT and T was was the phone company. And then yes. they broke it up into these regional Bell operating companies called uh, Rbox, as you talked about. That's oh, where, yeah. yeah, if you're your local, quote-unquote, local phone company today, that's when it came into existence back in the mid-'80s. Yeah, and the only phone system before divestiture you could buy was from Western Electric, you know, and AT&T phones and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Uh, now, you know, I was working for uh, uh, Northern Telecom at the time, now Nortel Networks, and... Uh, they were the inventors of the digital PBX, which is a big deal. And yeah. now uh, at Nortel, we could uh, 
uh, distribute our products through these regional bell operating companies. And so being kind of a mid-level marketing person I was with kind of a sales bend, I went out and met with the different sales teams, the different Arbox, you know, so I went to PacBell, I went to Ameritech and mm-hmm. Bell South and all these places and met with the sales teams that were selling West West. what they called CPE, customer premises equipment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I mean, they, they separated, you know, central office stuff and CPE, right? So uh, I was doing, essentially doing a, a massive needs assessment and I just thought it was fascinating because uh, really focusing on, you know, the moments of truth, what happens when, you know, these people are in front of customers and what are they selling and what do they know and how do we get it there and what information do they need and how do you support them and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and what role then you can go back to Nortel and say, what do we have to do to make this happen? You know, and so we have great products, right? But, uh, yeah, you know, getting that into the channel and with a brand new channel and it was huge and, and that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. And, and, so, and so, so, just take a step back for a second. So what you're doing is, is yeah, Nortel, which unfortunately doesn't exist today either. Um, but at the time, as you said, was pioneering this yeah. new field of these, these PBXs. Mm-hmm. And, and so all these new entities that existed, there were these massive entities and massive enterprises that were created out of AT&T. What was AT&T at the time? Pac Bell, mm-hmm. you talked about US West, Southern Bell, so on. Bell South, I mean. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm they were going to become your distribution channel mm-hmm. for yeah. your products. Yeah. So they would take what you guys are selling and go call on their corporate clients, their enterprise clients. And yeah, at that point, <laughs> people were thinking about this. There used to be many companies had those physical switch ports with operators making the oh, connection. <laughs> this was replacing that. And it, when you think about it in a, in a real sense, it wasn't that long ago. Well, yeah, from from my standpoint, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, it's, but here we are. I mean, now we don't even have a phone system. My last two offices and businesses sure. I started, we haven't had PBXs, right? Don't need them. We got voice over IP. Yeah, um, well, software. And, and, I, and I could go into how I even studied, you know, um, you know, national labor statistics. You could see over the course of ten years, hundreds of thousands of technical professionals shifting from central office and telephone company stuff to uh, cellular and mobile. Um, you could just see the whole workforce just shift. It was amazing uh, uh, over time. So we got a voice over IP. Um, one of the companies I started uh, was, uh, we created a certification program called the Convergence Technology Professional. Uh, I partnered with the Telecom Industry Association and became a certification standard um, it's still alive today. It was cross-training data and voice uh, technicians um, mm-hmm. using, uh, you know, computer-based uh, assessment tools and certification. Right. Um, a lot of fun. Um, but uh, that's that's the kind of thing, you know. That, that I get excited about it. You know that kind of stuff. You know, um, you know, applying technology to helping salespeople do a better job, cross-training. A company here in town called ADC Telecom. They've been acquiring and growing and adding all the different companies. They want one Salesforce to sell it all. Well, salespeople didn't know all this stuff. So, um, you know, another company I started was training. So I did a lot of training for um, uh, companies that were selling through distributors. We did a big needs assessment for um, Texas Instruments and mm-hmm. calling on, you know, Arrow and, Folks like that uh, that were selling semiconductors. Right? 
right uh yeah it's it, so that that's you know, that's been my my passion so that's that's a little bit about me and what i've done and the companies i've started and and most recently i just left the role of ceo and co-founder i'm still a co-founder of modus um the sales enablement platform right and our target market our icp uh we're manufacturers that sell uh, heavy equipment through dealer distributor organizations. And so right. Caterpillar, one of our first customers and talking to Caterpillar dealers all over the world. I mean, far East and as well as North America, South America, Europe. Um, it, it's just fascinating stuff because uh, it, it's a real, a real challenge for the manufacturers to get it right. And, you well, know, getting it right, meaning, meaning what many wanted. And I remember, you know, I worked at, Apple, so in the early days of Apple, where we were mm-hmm. learning how to sell through a channel, and and we were trying to, what I was responsible for is, is helping these computer stores learn how to sell to businesses, right? And during this transition, where you know PCs, personal computing went from sort of you know hobby to serious serious tools for business, mm-hmm. and yeah, the concern always of the manufacturer or the you know the company that's working through the distribution channel is. Yeah, how do we how do we ensure some sort of consistency in the experience uh, the buyers have when engaging with our channels, whether they're next door, or across the country, or around on the other side of the world? Yeah, um, and and, the, and you probably saw too that a very small incremental, you know, improvement can scale in a broad sense uh, to, to big meaningful numbers in in, in revenue. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and you know the, the the challenge of doing it well. Um, and I have to say, many manufacturers today are, are still stuck in an old model, and you know they they just sort of throw their hands up and say it's messy. We'll just put a good product, uh, field of dreams marketing, right? If you build it, they'll mm-hmm. come. Uh, and the dealers just basically say, okay, we got it from here. We own the relationships. Uh, you stay out of it, and. There's, there's even this, you know, the ongoing fear of, you know, uh, a, a manufacturer, an OEM going direct to the customers. Okay, that's that's always been in the background. Oh yeah, um, but uh, so this, this is my passion. This is what I'm doing now. I'm focusing on, you know, I want to you know, help uh, manufacturers get their distribution networks better, uh, functioning better. Um, you know, there's there's lots of them out there. Uh, you know, looking at the statistics uh, lately, you know, 400,000 distributor organizations in North America alone uh, with, what, $7 trillion in revenue, uh, 2021 data. Right. I mean, that's mom and pops as well as big ones. It's crazy. Yeah, I had another guest on the show not that long ago, um, and he was saying, in terms of the exact statistic, but we're talking about distribution and distribution channels that, I don't know, like somewhere between 70, 80% of all sort of B2B commerce is transacted through a distribution channel. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we, we on this podcast and on most podcasts, everybody sort of focused on this, you know, this direct selling model. But the fact is that in the real world, the vast bulk of, mm-hmm. of procurement and buying happens through channels. Yes. Yeah, and we just we don't we don't talk about that enough on the show. So that's one of the reasons I was really interested in this conversation <laughs> happening because it's like, yeah, I think 
there's this reluctance on them. I see on the part of, of small companies that, that I deal with to, they see channels as being risky. And yes, there are risks associated with it. And you do have to be careful. I mean, I've, for startups, I've set up distributors around the world. And not all of them perfectly or yeah, made great decisions necessarily the first time about all of them. But they can be invaluable in terms of accelerating your growth if you do it right. Oh, my goodness. And if you do it right, I mean, look at some of the, the beautiful models in the world right now. What will, let's say, separate out from what I'm talking about, HubSpot. You know, there's, you know, tens of thousands of resellers out there. And, um, and these are resellers that are, you know, you know, it's synchronous with what they do. Okay. People that you know, do technology integrations or create content for customers, that kind of thing. They sell HubSpot, they get another platform, et cetera. But HubSpot doesn't have to carry any of the selling costs. HubSpot doesn't have to do all the hiring and firing and sales people. Right. And it's, it's. You know, you, if you go through, you know, companies like them uh, in, their, in their financial statements, you can see the leverage they have. And they work hard over time to build mm-hmm. that network. And it's working beautifully. Plus, they have a great product. doesn't hurt either. Oh, yeah, but that, that's, that's the kind of thing that everyone gets to. I mean, that's their unicorn, so to speak. Uh, but, you know, for manufacturers, it's it's... It's a lot of work, it's blocking and tackling, but it's also they're prisoners of their own paradigms. And, um, you know, the way they t- traditionally have done it is you've got marketing sort of in manufacturers, and it's a linear process. They hand off stuff to the distributor, the distributor does their own marketing and sales, and then everybody hopes something good happens. Um, and, and, and that's the way it's traditionally done. And that's mm-hmm. it's frustrating because you've, you've got some other big dynamics are, are making that system broken and the big one of the big dynamics is as uh brent adamson has said you know at gartner um you've got the new digital um buying uh model here in digital buyer engagement you've got millennials coming in and they don't want to talk to salespeople, and they want more information uh before they even talk to salespeople, and they want to be engaged and they need to be nurtured and they have very high b2c kind of expectations and that going on at the same time, you know, the distributors are becoming more and more frustrated and remote, particularly in the, you know, the COVID era where you're having, you know, the inside plus as the sales model, the hybrid model, right. uh, is making it even more difficult for their salespeople to engage with their end customers and have meaningful conversations. And they're trying to do it the same old way and it's broken and as a good friend of mine who works at an agency here in town, used to be a customer, has said the ship is leaving the dock and it's, been, it's accelerating this separation. And so what manufacturers need to do now, they need to really be thinking about how do they engage end customers while bringing in distributors and having a collaborative type of model, not linear anymore. Think in terms of a triangle with, you know, a customer here, manufacturer, distributor, all working together in, in a collaboration way to engage um, the customers and provide at the same time the distributor and the distributor salespeople the information they need to be a concierge or a Brent would say a curator of information to help support that relationship with the end customer. Okay, mm-hmm. and so it's media, it's support, it's you know answering questions, these kinds of things, and so it becomes you know a system. It's not unlikely, a, you know, uh, DXP or some kind of e-commerce, you know, depending upon the situation, 
you apply technology here to suit your model and your product and your market. Right. So that's that's the new model that um, you know that say best practices are, are moving towards now. But it all starts with focusing on the customer. And the other part is back in the headquarters and marketing people. You know, there needs to be a culture shift here between marketing and sales working closer together. That's so important. So. That's, yeah, well, and I think it's important for people to keep in mind, though, is, is that the reason a manufacturer, and not the reason, one of the primary reasons a manufacturer is going to go through distribution channels rather than build a direct uh, sales force, setting aside the financial considerations you talked about with HubSpot and so on, is that they expect that the distribution partners, the channel partners that they, they sign up, have pre-existing relationships and our business, you know, in certain segments or with particular, you know, customer sets or specific geographies that, you know, that investment has been made to a certain point where they're saying, look, you know, we're through this, we're going to leverage their relationship because they're already partway there, right? They maybe already have a relationship with that client that we're targeting or this client set that we're targeting. And so challenges, well, how do we help them well, it's two challenges. One is how do we how do we get them interested in us and and command enough share of mind from them so that they focus on our product, but also you know how do we help them uh, you know leverage the relationship they have already. Well, a big way to make friends of your distributors if you're a manufacturer is sharing the data. So not the distributors won't have the resources that manufacturers typically have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, using leveraging the technology. I mean, you can have you take a buyer anywhere, and you have intent data uh, that it may not one hundred percent accurate, of course, but it's it gives you some idea that you know if they're hitting your web pages and what are they looking at and sharing the data with the distributor. This is where things break down, right? Even today, most of the time, the manufacturers know exactly what's going on, but distributors don't get the information. It's actually useful. And that's, that's the hard part. And so if you imagine being a salesperson for, say, a Caterpillar dealer in Wichita, Kansas, if you knew that this contractor out there had won this big bid, has been all over the Caterpillar site looking at, you know, the, you know, the, the, the model, an excavator, that kind of, that's useful information, right? Yeah, um, they're American perhaps. Yeah. And, they, and, and, and I know and Caterpillar is frustrated because their own structure and their own information systems can't get through some of these firewalls that are built up by the dealers to get information through. But when they can, um, you can have actually useful data and useful for the salesperson and give them information they need. But again, they also, the salespeople have to realize they're in a different role now. Okay. Many times now the, the cat salesperson is calling on somebody half their age. So <laughs> that's with different expectations and they want information to help them make better decisions, not just specs and brochures. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, but do you really think though that in the the past the buyers were satisfied with specs and brochures? I, I you, you need know, I th- that. You need that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah no, but I think there's a sort of false narrative. Not to get too far off the off the track, but I think there's this false narrative about just how different millennial buyers might be from yeah you know, the previous generation of buyers. Hmm. I mean. Yeah, the information you need to be able to make a decision is still the same information you need to make a decision. Uh, yeah, and you, and I think and I would contend that 
when you're making decisions that have uh, elements of risk associated yeah. with them, whether they it's risk to the enterprise or risk to you know, them, you know, perhaps from a career standpoint, um, that suddenly this this notion that yeah they don't really want to talk to salespeople I think flies out the window. Well, I mean, intuitively, I would agree with you. Um, and you know, the sort of the flip side when I talked to, to Brent uh, about this is that you know, even millennials in the new buying model, they have to talk to salespeople. In, in the situation where they make the high level purchase or high risk purchase, like you're referring to, say a three hundred thousand dollar excavator or something like that, mm-hmm. um, if they never talk to a salesperson, um, then the 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 risk uh, what was a percentage of dissonance post decision dissonance is way higher. Uh, they're, they're very likely to be dissatisfied with your purchase if you don't talk to a salesperson somewhere along the way. Yeah, but I will say there's more information available today than you know if you want to go back a generation, if you will, uh, and how people would make decisions a while ago. You have so it's almost too much information now. Um, and too many options. And even going back to before you make a decision, you have to understand what kind of problem do you have and defining the problem. Um, yep. You know, it's more than just, you know, digging holes in the dirt. It may be about specific problems and and, and things, things you need to consider. So, you know, manufacturers typically have been really good at top of the funnel types of marketing, if you will. Uh, and then they provide spec sheets and brochures for somewhere later in the funnel, but they're not really nurturing that buyer all the way through to help support the distributor. And that's what some some of these new models are, are, are advocating, which makes sense to me. So if if you're somebody who's thinking about a new excavator or, or a new piece of equipment for your factory or whatever you're going to get, then... Um, you're looking at websites, you're, you're showing up on intent data and the manufacturers, I think now have the obligation and the wherewithal to be supporting and, and nurturing that particular and providing information there, but also getting a distributor involved to provide information for that, you know, early mid funnel kind of type of stuff. Yeah. Well, I think the, so, the, the challenge is always for manufacturers and the frustration for manufacturers is that, you know, the information flows tend to be one direction. Yeah. So, you know, they'll send stuff to the distributor, but to ask a distributor to, you know, hey, you know, keep us updated on what's happening on these accounts, uh, and so on and so on and so forth is, is always sort of the challenge. So, I mean, how, how is a manufacturer, you know, is, is sort of the best way then to, to work with a distributor to say, look, yeah, this, we're not just talking. This really needs to be a partnership. It's not just... I said, not just happy talk, because um, yeah, we are, you know, we're carrying a little bit more of the water for you on the front and the top of the funnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, how do we help you optimize at the the later stages? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's that's where you got other tools like you know my old company Modus come in, so um, that'll help you in mid funnel. And um, so explain explain this for people who don't familiar with Modus, what you guys do. Well, Andy Stills and then on the platform, you're talking about really kind of getting media in the hands of the of the sellers, of the, you know, what they need, when they need it. Um, you call it just-in-time training as well. 
um, perfect for product launches and, 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 you know, announcements, program announcements, that kind of thing. Uh, it's a way to sort of package a message and, and have assets to go along with it to support the message. And it helps, you know, establish the salesperson as a cons in a sort of a consultative role to uh, the buyer, particularly in B2B. So that, that's, that's what Modus does. It's a, the platform that, that sits mm -hmm. inside of this whole um, ecosystem that you'd set up with your, your distributors. And that was by and large, the, the bread and butter for Modus was working with, <clears throat> you know, Toro, Caterpillar, Bobcat, you know, Graco, yeah, on and on. That's, that's what they did. And they, they, the dealers love it. But on this, this idea of enablement of channel partners, though, I think this is, this is still a you know, very problematic, problematic area. It has been, forever um, in terms of manufacturers really doing a, a consistently yeah. excellent job of, of enabling the, the sellers within their channel partners. And, and, but there's lots of things that contribute to that. I mean, you've seen, I've seen it uh, working with clients that work through distribution channels that, you know, the channel partners, you know, tend to uh, not be as diligent in the hiring practices in terms of who they're bringing on. So, you know, some of the raw materials not uh, doesn't meet the expectations mm -hmm. that the manufacturer has, or they don't invest in regular training. Is is you know, what can manufacturers do to, uh, in a way that gets buy-in from the channel to make those investments? And because it's always you always have this tension you talked about is is yeah. channels are always worried about the product being pulled right by the manufacturer or the manufacturer going around them. So. There's always this this you know, sense of reluctance about investing in a way that benefits the manufacturer. I know there's there's enough angst to go around between the manufacturers and the channels and things bad things happening. Um, but you know you you really have to support the channels and you know, you have to be out there talking to them and get understanding. You have data and there's a lot of data you can you can get about you say what particular distribution partner is engaged and, and maybe not engaged. Uh, there's data that, you know, on your media usage, regardless of the platform you're using, uh, you can get it down to the rep level. You can see, oh, who, who wants to be, you know, involved. I mean, that's, you know, that, that's, that's one thing. You can get data about that and you can get data about what reps know and what they don't know. And, um, but you do need feet on the street and that's where you have, you know, this, 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 this middle group of, of people, if you will, representing manufacturers calling on the dealers to, to, to support them in addition to, um, you know, the, the, the technology platforms that are available. There are hundreds of them now that, you know, can either, you know, the, the, the training, the e-commerce, the incentive programs and all these different platforms uh, that you can, you know, depending upon what your needs are, what your product is, where distributors are, and, you know, all those kinds of demographics and you can go to psychographics. Uh, this is why this is why I find this this challenge so interesting and this is what I like to do. And you have to get out there and, and, and talk to the distributors and talk to the, the leadership uh, as well as the salespeople and come back and, and bring that back to uh, the folks at the manufacturer and say this is this is what I see. These are some gaps and um, this is what I've done in all my previous jobs. We've been doing this with Modus, you know, when you've got a, a platform. Now, I'm, now I don't, I'm free of a product, 
um, I, I'm more agnostic, but still, even with Modus, you're looking at, you know, you're talking to a manufacturer about their distributor problems. You know, they don't have the media. Mm -hmm. the, the, it's usually about content. You're talking about sales enablement. This right. is the issue of content and media. Now we can go a little, long, a little more holistic about that and talk about systems, processes, and things of that nature. And, you know, why are you spending all this money on a marketing automation system and all you're doing is, you know, email campaigns, you know? Um, you know, you don't, maybe you don't need that, but there's other things you can do to accomplish the same thing that are more um, synergistic with, you know, say other, other systems and what you're trying to do. And maybe even, you know, you know sharing data with the distributors too. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you talk about that as sort of things companies need to do as as they evolve their distribution uh, or their channel support programs. Is so. What are the things the company should be focusing on to move from where they might be today to a more modern model to support channels? Well, you got to focus on the end customer, and that'll it'll say in the moment of truth. It says focus on the customer and what is their digital buying journey. Uh, who are they and where do they go for information now? Uh, you know, the, you know, the old, it's a statistic and it's true and it's been born many times, you know, 70 to 80% of all the media and content that manufacturers create for their, for their distributors are never used. And that, that's a huge number. That's a lot of money. Um, that just means that they're throwing it into a black hole. They don't. They throw it out there and hope it gets used. What if they really needed to do is focus on customer centric rather than distributor centric. Talk about where the, the the moment of truth is when things happen and how things are bought at that time and where the media goes in at the right time and what do they need it and who delivers it. So that that's that would be step number one. But they um, need to do that. In conjunction with their distribution partners, though, right? Of course, yeah, that's part of the triangle I was telling you about. It's, it's, yeah, it, it, this it, is it, not turning your your marketing department loose to go talk to customers and then say to your distributor, you know, bestow upon your distributors or your channel partners, hey, here's oh. what we found out. It's to work with them to gather that yeah. data. Absolutely, and that's 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 what that's what we've been doing from the very beginning for all my companies, whether it's you know training or um, or the modus uh, sales and and software. You've, you get out and you talk to the dealer leadership first, and you talk to them. They get, they get everybody synchronous on what we're trying to mm -hmm. do here, and um, roll up your sleeves and do a needs assessment. It's really, that the old-fashioned needs assessment used to do, and um, you understand out where the gaps are and where the, where the strengths are. Um, yeah, you, you know what else do you do? Well, you know, look at the technology. I mean, technology is everywhere today, right? Um, and and you know, there's stuff in, in there that um, it probably isn't being used enough or effectively. And there's other stuff that probably, um, you know, could be replaced or upgraded uh, mm -hmm. right now. It, it's, there's no, in the analysis I've looked at in the technology for channel partners, there are a few vendors that actually come close to providing a turnkey all the way solution. But I think it, it's very, you know, industry specific stuff. There's no typically there's no one vendor that does everything you need. So you're gonna to have to think in terms of a system and things working together and supporting this, this vision of what the the end the end product looks like, the end end behaviors. Um, you know, you're, you're typically you're looking to gain mind share 
So it right. has to be easy to use. Of course, it has to be, you know, the kind of thing that you want to reach all the way through to the end customer. And, you know, even at Modus, uh, we had end customers using our software as a way to communicate with their own admins, whether it be like um, providing content to their own systems admins and these kinds of things. And so right. you, you can you can daily change some of this out, uh, but everything is different. Every, every situation is a little bit different. So it's, it's, you know, using the technology, engaging the buyers with personalized media. Um, of course, you've got, you know, the, the flow of information back and forth and sharing it with the distributors and, you know, um, you know, the inference data, real time available on, you know, mobile and computer, whether it going to be offline, online, still to right. optimize for specific selling buying scenarios. Um, there's so many things you could be doing now. Um, and, uh, you know, being in a position to support distributors, you know, to, you know, really providing a value add to your product. Okay. So whether it be, you know, sales support, ongoing support, um, manufacturers don't, can't do that, won't do that. Um, but the, uh, and I would say the last thing that, you know, you can be doing now too is on the manufacturing end and also the distribution, distribution end is, um, marketing and sales typically are in sell, silos. Well, they don't know what they're doing and um, they don't know what each other is doing. They're not working in collaboration. It's a culture change and it's really sort of a leadership. Um, yeah, leadership has to address some of this. And well, yeah, there are companies, you know, at, at Modus and previous companies I was working with, you know, you just, if, you, if you don't have that and you run into this, don't you're just not, it's not going to work. And, and uh, we've had to, we had to let clients go and fire clients. No, this is not working. The culture is bad. Yeah, well, I was going to say, it's, it's hugely problematic for channel partners if, because <laughs> I've been in the situation where it's the case where they have uh, both marketing and sales talking to them. <laughs> and, yeah, they're not in alignment. Oh, and, um, yeah, yeah that's, that's really, you really want to avoid that in all cases. You have to have, yeah, single source of truth you're dealing with to, with your channel exactly. partners. So they're focused. They understand what the mission is, what they need to accomplish, what the resources are for them. Uh, yeah, I've seen that happen on multiple occasions, and it's channels. You know, wound up choosing one they think is more credible, and that's not necessarily the one you want them to choose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's so. That, that's. So you ask me, what are the three things? Those are the three things. Um, yeah. That would you be looking at? It's and it's not easy. No, but I, just sort of closing question though is is yeah, you know, I, I think there and I see this and in, in my work fairly frequently is companies and smaller companies just reluctant to look at channels and oftentimes even in the software world where channels would make a, a logical play is there's this sort of insistence that no we need to be able to do this by ourselves. Right, we need to build this this infrastructure, the sales infrastructure, and so on. And it's like, well, sure, to some degree, hmm. but yeah, one of the easiest ways to go out and and test is with channel partners. Yes, um, if 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 you start with who is your <laughs> go back to your target customer, who are they? What do they look like? Um, and, and where do they buy it today? Um, you know, um, 
I want to say before there was a Home Depot or Lowe's, uh, some of the you know commercial equipment from Stanley Black and Decker you could only get through uh, direct sales or you know, like Hilti, they still do Jobber and things like that. Now you can walk into Home Depot and just get what you want. Well, why do they do that? Well, we call it technology or with just you know, the distribution model there was not working. So now we're going to go retail. Now people are going online. Um, you can get a lot of stuff and, you know, and just bypass, you know, it, it, this distribution altogether and dealers. Um, and that, that's what happens if you, if you don't keep things moving, that's when the, you know, the, the ship leaves the dock and I'm going to find a new way to get what I want now. So, um, that's, yeah. I think a lot of that, especially in the, the B2B space is, is yeah. Neil Rackham wrote about this back in his book, rethinking the sales force, which was you know, 20 plus years ago now at this point. But he basically made the point. It says, you know, in the absence of any sort of differentiated value from the channel, correct, the customers will buy from the channel that adds the least cost to the transaction. Thus, right. you know, if you can't add value to some of these commercial tool sales, sure, you know, understandably migrate to Amazon or or Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever. Um, so that really becomes the challenge then for channel partners and manufacturers supporting this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you continue to make the channel worth the price of dealing with it? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. It's, um, I don't know. I mean, you, just getting back to, you know, it, it sounds simple, um, you know, <laughs> but it, it, it's a lot of moving parts, as you can tell. And, and these, these bigger, you know, manufacturers, these larger, more diverse, um, uh, type of uh, distribution model, like Graco, for example, mm-hmm. they had VARs, they had you know integrators, they had retail, big box retail, all these kinds of things moving their products. And they had different product lines and these kinds of things. Very complex, um, and it's hard to keep up with all that stuff. Uh, and um, again, one, but the numbers are big, and one little bit of improvement. Uh, it is very meaningful to the top line. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, especially for small companies. Um, I would, I don't know, I ran sales of a number of startups where, you know, we actually needed to use distribution to you know, break into overseas markets, for instance, right? It was just too mm-hmm. expensive for us otherwise to try to do, but we knew we had a product that was well suited in several of these markets. But yeah, the cost of us trying to do it directly would have been prohibitive. Yeah, distribution. But, but then, going back to I think you, your original question, I think you asked uh, was if you're let's just say you're a, a medium-sized manufacturer, even selling direct, why would you want to go with distributors? Um, and, and and I I would say, well, where are your, your customers buying now? Uh, mm-hmm. And um, partner with some distributors and take it one step at a time. Yep. Um, and this is what, what I was, you know, what we were doing at Modus here, uh, before I left, uh, was, you know, looking at partners that would make, make some sense for them to include our product with what they were already selling Exactly. and, 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 and move forward with it and, and see how it works. And then you can scale it and, right. and repeat it. And so that's exactly the kind of thing that you do with a smaller manufacturer. You look at the possibilities. You know, your bigger market, you can't address it with a direct, a direct sales model. Right. You know, um, 
you know, if let's just say if, if T-Mobile or AT&T or Sprint, you know, if all they had were direct salespeople, you know, how many of us would have cell phones? How many do you think they would have sold? No, but now you got, you know, big box retailers, you got all these different retailers and resellers. Um, cost of the product goes down, quality of the product goes up. Everybody gets more feedback on how they, you know, what people want, market, and it, it's, a, you know, that, that's how it becomes a commodity. Otherwise, you're stuck back in, you know, Western Electric dial telephones. You know, it's like, pay phones. Yeah. Yeah, there are pay phones. Yeah. Well, yeah, for me, it's just, yeah, people listening to this, you're, you're thinking about, okay, how could we, you know, what are some strategies for selling, growing sales, excuse me. And yeah, if you're not thinking about using channel partners, uh, you should. Um, mm-hmm. Works for many, many products. Obviously, you have to make sure the margins work for you, the margins work for your distribution channels. But if you can do that and you can support them, yeah, it is, for me, it's companies I ran as, yeah, growth accelerators yeah. across the board. Yep, very, very much so. Yeah. All right, well, Warren, well, thank you very much for joining me. Um, people want to connect with you, learn about your new venture. What's the best way to do that? Well, Orenbroberg.com. Excellent. And you are uh, on LinkedIn as well, I imagine. Oh, yeah. All right. Always been on LinkedIn. <laughs> this now starts surprising to look back and realize just how long <laughs> we've been on LinkedIn. Um, I know. It's a little scary, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I wish I'd started using it the way I use it now back a long time ago. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. Anyway. All right. All right. Thanks a lot. Andy, good talking with you. Talk soon. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I am so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank our guest, Oren Broberg, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a moment, if you could leave us a rating or a review, let us know how we're doing. Oh, we'd certainly appreciate it. And you can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.